it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Oh, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we, of course, explore the omni-channel digital journey, brands and retailers. I'm your co-host, Shri. Please listen to my elder daughter, Ria's music at www.riaraj.com and follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter, Laura, at Dream Academy by High Ben Geffen Records on YouTube or Instagram. Of course, you can find links to that in the digital liner notes of this podcast. And joining me today is none other than my co-host and friend, also the Partnership Acceleration Lead for Flywheel Digital, Mr. PVS Bond. How you doing, man? Which part of the country are you in at today? I'm home. I'm actually at the Guilford Global Headquarters of PVSB. Hard to believe, Shri. It's been a busy week. You know, advertising week was this week, gearing up for Amazon Unbox next week. Uh, still kind of smarting from my trip out to California where we watched the beginning of the end for the Dodgers playoffs season with the uh, arrival of what I affectionately refer to as playoff Kershaw, where he always chokes. That's only one game, Peter. It's a best of five. Yeah, but you know what they talked to? Remember we were sitting there and they were flashing on the board he's the winningest playoff pitcher in Dodger history? What they didn't refer to is that he's also the losingest pitcher in Dodger playoff history with 13 losses and a 4.48 ERA. So, Shri, I'm already looking for pitchers and catchers in February. That's how I'm with you, man. As a Yankee fan, I don't think I have much to add to this conversation in the playoffs for a change this year. We decided to yield and let others participate for the fight for the world championship ring. We've been that nice since 2009. The good news is we have a really interesting topic today, one of my favorites, Shri, so I can't wait to get to it. Can't wait. So, But before we get to that topic, I guess, let me remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. If you use Apple or Spotify, please give us a rating because the rating helps feed the algorithm and, of course, makes the SEO possible to find our podcast easily. But more importantly, it also tells us how we're doing. We want to express how honored we are to be rated the number one CPG podcast for two years in the running, according to Feedspot, the leading podcast ranking authority. And we're pleased to have join us in our top 30, our sister podcasts, CPG Scoop, CPG Guys Fast Forward, and the FMCG Guys. We're happy to be formal sponsors on Next Stop, whose mission is to advance all women in business. We're giving away memberships to this prestigious network and organization, so drop us a line at contact at cpgguys.com to learn more and take advantage of what Next Up has to offer. Links to our podcast, our sister cast on our landing page on Next Up may be found in the digital liner notes, of course, of this podcast. Peter, you ready? Time to get to the main event. Let's bring it. Let's do it. A guest graduated UVA, which I may actually know of that school, having gone to Virginia Tech in computer science and engineering. Then he worked for NASA as a data and policy analysis intern in the commercial space flight development division. Then it was Microsoft and the buzzword of the CPG industry, AI, through roles at Clark.ai and founded Yogi in 2018. So who is Yogi? Here's what Yogi says. Tap into what actual consumers really think straight from their product reviews and ratings. Created exclusively for consumer brand leaders, Yogi helps you instantly identify market trends, product level insights, uncovers competitive intelligence. Updated in real time, Yogi's easy-to-use AI-powered platform enables you to always make the right decision quickly and confidently. So we have CPG Guy's famous power word of 2023 to discuss today, AI or artificial intelligence. So join me in welcoming to the podcast our guest, CEO and founder Yogi of Forbes 30 Under 30, Gautam Kanamuru. Hello, Gautam. Yeah. Hi, Sri. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. I know this is a legendary podcast in the CPG space, so I'm honored to be on board. 
Well, I'm happy to have you on here. Now, it's going to be the battle between the Cavalier and the Hokie. I don't know if I'd want to be a Hokie. I kind of like the Cavalier thing. It's the last game of every season. So we got four games to wait for it. It's Thanksgiving week, low sparsely attended game, but very important game because it's actually got the Commonwealth Cup behind it. I don't know how many people knew that. The Commonwealth Cup, the prestigious Commonwealth Cup, I might add. This year, I don't know so much. I think both teams are underperforming, but we're fighting for a bowl shot. You guys are fighting for a bowl shot. It takes six games. That might be the decider. That's true. That's true. So before we get to the questions we have prepared, Gautam, can you please give us a description of what Yogi does? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you covered it well in in the beginning three, but just to kind of take it from the top, we're a software platform that helps brands get really in-depth visibility into product sentiment via reviews and ratings at the end of the day. And I think maybe the best way to really paint this is just with kind of a quick example. So if you have a, a review, let's say on Chewy for pedigree that says, hey, I've been giving pedigree to my golden retriever for the past five years. I used to give them a different brand, but they would always scratch an itch. Ever since we switched over, no more scratching, but I have been noticing some digestive issues recently. Um, what Yogi's able to do is go in and say, hey, this is a four-star review on Chewy from a repeat purchaser of pedigree that's talking positively about skin and coat health, but negatively about digestion. You take that, you average that across tens of thousands of pedigrees reviews, you compare, compare it to Purina, Hills Pet, and you're able to really break down and understand what's going on on a, almost an attribute by attribute level from a sentiment perspective and use that to do anything from change PDP pages online through to marketing claims to even product innovation at the end of the day. Um, so honestly, just getting CPG companies closer to their customers via reviews and ratings. I may know of another person on this podcast for whom reviews may be near and dear having come from the alma mater of power reviews. So I'm guaranteed today to have a fun discussion. Thank you for that overview, Gautam. In the digital liner notes of this episode, we'll of course include links to your LinkedIn profile, Yogi's LinkedIn page, and of course the website for our listeners to access while we go on with that conversation. So I'm going to shoot over to question number one. As I mentioned earlier, your career has NASA on it. You're the second person we've had on the CPG guys who uh, actually is a NASA alum. The first one was Mirzaman, who I think works at Spectrum Brands, and then Microsoft, and then Rich EI skill sets. Take us through the years graduating UVA, how you got to NASA, how did you get to Microsoft, and then why AI, and then you ended up founding Yogi in 2018. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's kind of crazy to think uh, after all these years. But so starting at NASA, honestly, was uh, started with really an interest in kind of the private space industry. So the division of NASA that I was working with was essentially helping companies like SpaceX and Orbital get to kind of the International Space Station and now beyond. So yeah, I think there was just like a really deep interest there. Uh, I also kind of grew up in the DC area. So NASA, the government has always been kind of a, a part of the life here. So yeah, that was kind of the driving force there. And then I majored in computer engineering. I was, uh, I've always been a software person since high school. So after graduating, I was lucky enough to get a job at Microsoft working on AI technology there. So Cortana, Xbox, Windows. Um, I kind of like to say that if, if anyone ever has any issues with Microsoft products, I'm probably one degree removed from the person that owns that product or feature. So I'm always happy to pass feedback along. And then, yeah, and then I think... Uh, Kind of having worked at a big company, the next thing that you want to do is see what what is like working at a startup. 
So moved to New York City, was VP of engineering at a NLP startup that ended up getting acquired. And from there, you kind of catch the startup bug and take things from there. So the story with Yogi, I guess the nucleus of it really starts from uh, my experience at Microsoft. So one of the great things about Microsoft is they have an amazing beta testing community, right? If you want to put out a, a test feature, you're going to have thousands of people using it within 24 hours. But the really fascinating thing is, is that the way that qualitative feedback was shared internally in the org was literally just a Excel spreadsheet with rows of comments. And just having kind of an NLP background, you're not going to read lines and lines of comments. Um, and so kind of build out scripts to uh, or automated ways to analyze it. And um, kind of the idea was, hey, if Microsoft, one of the most tech advanced companies in the world, if this is how they're analyzing qualitative feedback, chances are other companies are struggling with it as well. So ended up uh, starting Yogi in the 2018 timeframe with uh, one of my best friends from college, Chad, to start working on analyzing customer feedback. And one of the first sets of companies that we ended up talking with were consumer goods companies at the end of the day. And the thing that we constantly kept hearing is, hey, what are you doing about reviews and ratings? And for anybody there that knows the startup space, especially when you're early on, you do the classic, fake it till you make it a little bit. So you say, oh yeah, we got it covered. And then we would build whatever we could on nights and weekends and and get an early version going. And things just kind of took off for us from there. That is such a great origin story. By the way, since the beginning of Shree's introduction of the last question, the Elton Johnson rocket man has been going on in the back of my head. I don't know if I'm going to be able to shake it. So I can still hear him hitting the high notes, but we'll try and get past that. Welcome to the podcast. We're really excited. I know I certainly am to have you here to talk about this. So as you mentioned, your company Yogi is powered and anchored on artificial intelligence. You know, what does that mean for consumers and shoppers? And explain that. Can you take us through what it means ultimately to you? I'd like you to decompose why natural language processing really solves the problem of extracting meaningful insights at scale from user-generated content like reviews and ratings. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, the way that I kind of like to think of AI at the end of the day is it's honestly just the next step in automation for just kind of the the public in general. So I guess the example that I would take is if you think of spreadsheets, right? And like being a bookkeeper, if you go, whatever, 50 years ago to what that would take, that was a very manual effort, right? Like lots of, you would have maybe something that would look like a spreadsheet in front of you. You'd be writing down numbers, doing lots of calculations, come out with what, what happens now. The evolution of that was with spreadsheets, things like Excel coming out. Um, one person could probably do the equivalent of 100 book closings at the end of the day because of that, that level of automation. And so that's what computers brought. AI fundamentally is kind of the next step in that. So when you look at kind of the smaller tasks that maybe people need to tackle, maintaining your calendar, sending out small emails here and there, or even getting like the first thing going in terms of a brief for, for somebody to start writing out a marketing campaign stuff like that. It is just that next level in automation. From a natural language processing perspective and why it's so important for what we do, analyzing reviews and ratings, um, I think it's the, it's the same example. Like if the three of us, if I asked you, Shri, and you, you, Peter, hey, here's 20 reviews, tell us what's going on. That's very feasible. I could probably even get you to 50 reviews and maybe if you're really feeling like it, 100 reviews. 
But as soon as we sit here and we're like, oh, let's analyze 10,000 reviews. And now let's keep doing that on a weekly basis. And now it's not just the 10,000 reviews on Amazon. What about these on Best Buy? What about these on Chewy? What about these on Target? It just becomes too big of a scale at the end of the day. It's not feasible for an individual or a team of individuals to really analyze that information. And so that's where the AI and natural language processing piece has to come in for kind of the work that we do. So the assumption obviously here is natural language processing, machine uh, ML, and then you combine both of those to process large volumes of data given the scale that you just spoke to. And then you can start working with AI because the quality of the input dictates the quality of the output. Keeping all that as a backdrop now, as the backbone for Yogi, what can a brand expect from Yogi in terms of, give us the details, give us the scoop, services you offer, and then if someone wanted to get in touch with you, get started with the partnership, how would they do that? At, at the end of the day, what our focus on is just helping you generate insights from this highly valuable data source. And so we've kind of built out our offering to really meet brands where they are in that journey to make it as easy as possible for them to get the insights. So at its core, Yogi is a software platform. So whenever we sign an engagement, all that we need from our customers is just what products you care about. Is it just this one category? Is it every product that you have under the sun? Do you only care about two brands or all the competitive brands that exist? Simply just defining the product catalog and then we take care of the rest. We're going to um, make sure that we're pulling in the relevant information. Our AI model is able to auto-generate themes. So there's no need for brands to come to us and say, oh, this is what to expect or these are what keywords to look for. Our AI is able to take care of that. The software gets set up and then um, you're able to kind of access it and, and log in as needed. The other things that we do have is we realize that some brands are much more prefer like a self-service type thing. So it's to say, give us the software, train us up, we're ready to go for it. Other brands maybe need um, some, some handholding or don't have all the resources that are needed to be able to do this themselves. So we have an insights team on staff that um, can be easily tied to any engagement. And so they're there for you to, hey, if you have that report that somebody in the C-suite needs an answer to in two days, we're able to help you there. If you just want a consistent monthly digest on what's going on, we're able to help you there as well. So at the end of the day, it, for us, we just try to make it as easy as possible for brands to not only start with us, but take off and use the insights afterwards. I love that. You go from self-serve to managed services based upon the needs of your individual clients. I think that's pretty terrific. And it sounds like the ability to glean the insights that they need, you provide all of the capabilities to satisfy their specific predicament. So let's talk about the impact that UGC has because uh, ratings and reviews, while you can learn a lot from them, we also understand as evidenced by a lot of third-party studies that ratings and reviews are still a core driver of SEO, search engine optimization, on most major retail sites. First of all, do you agree with that? Uh, and if so, how can you influence that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with it. I, I think at the end of the day, there's um, it's sometimes worth just taking a step back and kind of thinking like for the retailers at the end of the day, their goal or incentive is to give you the perfect product. They want to sell it. They want you to buy it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so they only want to recommend a good product for you because 
if it ends up being a product that you're not satisfied with, the return is just as painful for them as it is for the brand at the end of the day. And so like reviews and ratings definitely play a huge role in SEO at the end of the day. The fundamental thing, there, there's kind of um, two beliefs that I guess we have, and it kind of gets to the question of what can be done about this. One of them is that consumers are becoming smarter and smarter, both through experience and also through the ease of access to data that they have to make the right decision for what product they want. And so it's almost consumers are becoming more knowledgeable. So what that means is, this isn't to say that a huge marketing campaign isn't effective, but if your product is not good at the end of the day, consumers are going to find out before they hit the purchase button, just fundamentally. And the way that they're going to find that out is through things like reviews and ratings, is through word of mouth feedback, so on and so forth. So the trend that's happening is that at the end of the day, you just have to have a good product and a good product will start to win out with kind of the right investment underneath. And the second thing that we're seeing is that retailers are becoming more and more incentivized to expose this information in much easier ways. So I'm sure a lot of the kind of listeners on, on the podcast might be familiar with this new Amazon AI review summaries that Amazon's been playing around with on their mobile apps, right? Um, it's kind of a three or four sentence summary of what people are saying they like and dislike kind of at the top of the reviews within it showing up on the Amazon mobile app currently. But the, the reason to kind of think through why that might be the case is Amazon's trying to make it uh, take that next degree in, in sort of personalization and sort of the recommendations that they're giving, right? Yeah, one toothpaste might have a 4.2 star rating. Another one might have a 4.5, but the 4.2 one doesn't have an aftertaste. And if you really care about aftertaste, this is the right one for you. And so that's kind of what is going to start to be kind of exposed downstream by these AI review summaries. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because I think about the way that retailers have traditionally presented reviews. And a lot of those were driven by the UGC platforms in the background. They would show you the most popular positive review and the most popular negative review. But if that review didn't encapsulate or reflect the overall sentiment of what was good or what was bad about the product, then you're missing something. And so these AI-driven synthesized summaries are probably the best way to your point of surfacing all of the major issues or pro or con that consumers are seeing with products. So it is actually better for them and more conversion driving, or it either drives the conversion or it allows them to move to another product to see if that satisfies their needs. So I think that's really good. Yep. Yep. And I think the other thing that's, that's super interesting when you th start to think of like, how can search evolve as well, right? Maybe fast forwarding, uh, may not even be a few years from now, but Google has their, uh, open AI competitor that, that they call Bard. And if you look at some early Bard results when it comes to shopping based queries, what you're starting to see is they're introducing things like buying guides. And so what this is, is you're going to type in, Hey, what is a good, um, I think the example that I saw is what is a good bike for me if I want to start commuting to work, but I have hills on my route, for example. And what it's able to do is give you a breakdown of, hey, since you're dealing with a hilly commute, here's three or four characteristics you should keep in mind when purchasing a bike. And if you're looking for the best one that can change gears very easily, here's a good example. If you're looking for the best price and value, here's a good example. Um, and again, that's where 
AI review summaries and just the UGC in general is going to be a huge feeder into that as well. So when you even think of the evolution of search, they're going to start to play a, a huge, huge role. And I think what it honestly fundamentally comes down to in terms of what can you do to influence this, obviously push to have the best products possible. But I also think it's being honest about expectation setting and knowing what you're good at. Obviously, we'd love for our product to be the best at everything in the category that we own. But if we see quantitatively, hey, we are the best from a taste perspective because we don't have aftertaste, lean into that, understand that the users that care about that are going to be the ones that are going to rate you super highly and take things from there. And so it, it is a combination of not only best products, but just expectation setting in the proper sense. And that starts from the PDP on up. So one thing I was going to say when you mentioned earlier about the AI generated reviews on Amazon's mobile platform, the app, I actually, it works very well for me personally, opinion on one, but one of the challenges over the last two, three years, especially over COVID that's emerged on the Amazon platform is the precedence of reviews. It's absolutely unprecedented, the amount of reviews on a given PDP. And then what happens when you click on those reviews is you got to find the filters very carefully because it always gets to the most liked ones with the most thumbs up. And I personally love that the AI engine goes through, picks and chooses which are the top used words or phrases or themes, and it tells you the three or four things you need to know. And it really, for me, it cuts down reviewing 4,835 reviews as an example down to four words and what matters the most. I think it's a big deal. So I'm looking forward to that. Let me remind our audience that I'm speaking with Gautam Kanumuru, CEO of the Yogi Company. So we just said, you know what, it's in the Amazon app. It's strategic. It helps. It saves time. So I'm going to say here and ask you that question, is reviews data that's emerging out of this, is this example that I just gave, a strategic data asset for brands? What if brands could take this data and mine it? And why in the industry is it still untapped? Yeah. I got to imagine innovation pipelines, this is like gold. No, no. Yeah. yeah. For innovation pipelines, it's been huge. It's been exciting for us because um, we, we've started to reach the point where some products that uh, our customers used for to like seed their innovation pipeline a few years ago are now hitting the shelves and hitting the shelves in a really successful way. So is it a, a strategic data asset? Like 100% or 1000%, I would say. Because fundamentally, what you have to do is you have to take a step back and not just think of this as a star rating. These are actual purchasers of your product who are giving you un like biased feedback. It's it's not even like you're asking a specific question. It's literally you just handing them a microphone and just being like, what happened? Um, and just based on that organic nature of what they even choose to talk about, you're going to learn a ton. And so even put aside the sentiment piece, if people are bringing up theme one more than theme two, that is really, really important information for a brand or a marketing manager to understand. Why has it been kind of under leveraged? I'll be honest in saying I probably don't have a, a definitive answer. I have some hypotheses, which is this is the classic case of like to do something, it's easy. To do something well, it's very, very hard. And so when you think of something like reviews and ratings, right, you would think of it as just, oh, let me just pull the 50 or 100 most recent reviews on Amazon and, and decide what's going on. But what you really have to start to take into account is things like, hey, some of these might be promotional. Some of these may not be promotional. Promotional reviews are inherently going to be 
more positive in sentiment than organic reviews. So you have to be able to take that into account. You're going to have repeats across retailers. You're going to have different topics of conversation, different sentiment across retailers, right? The Target shopper is different than the Walmart shopper is different than the Amazon shopper at the end of the day. And so all of this nuance, and then that's just gathering the reviews. Analyzing it is a completely different story exactly for what we talked about before, right? It's not reasonable to ask anybody or a team of people to go through thousands of reviews on a consistent basis. And so I think that's what it is. And I would honestly argue that a second point is also just a a knowledge gap, if you will. I think a lot of people don't realize what they can use this data source for. I think for so many, it's been this transactional thing of just how do we get our star rating up? How do we maintain the industry average or or exceed it? Where I, I think more people are starting to realize the nuance of what this data source is and the types of things that they can get out of it too. So I, probably a, a, a knowledge thing as well. No, that that's great, Gautam. Um, I, I'll tell you a little story. I'll uh, diverge from the question and just tell you a little story. About four years ago, I was in Lower Manhattan meeting with an old friend of mine. He was running e-commerce for a large cosmetics company. And I asked him, uh, are you using ratings and reviews? And he said, well, uh, yeah. I said, so how do you make sense of them? And he said, well, I wait until I get summer interns. I lock them all into an office, give them four computers, tell them to read all the reviews and come back to me at the end of the summer with a presentation. And I looked at him and I said, is that objective? And Shri said to me, not at all. And I said, is it scalable? He goes, not a chance. But if you get me something that is, I'm the first person you should call. So just letting you know that there was someone out there that realized the problem that you say so many other brands are facing right now. All right. So here's my question for you. I think about where you're getting all this data. My first question will be kind of a derivative of this, which is I'm assuming that you are able to analyze any publicly available accessible data. So anything that's on a public website, so you can confirm that. But more importantly, my question is this, do you need a relationship with retailers? Are there relationships you have with retailers? And ultimately, how does a typical engagement look like for a brand working with Yogi? I mean, you kind of made mention their self-serve. I'd like to know from a managed service perspective, what are the kind of guides or insight dashboards or what have you that you provide to allow them to make the most sense of this? Yeah, 100% right. So uh, we're able to pull in all publicly available data. And so it doesn't matter what retailer it's from. I think we're able to pull from a little over 350, I think is the last number my engineering team shared with me. So 350 different retailers across the world that we're able to pull data from. And then do we have relationship with some retailers? We're actually in the process of, of building some. We don't need them necessarily, but we do have retailers that are actually starting to lean into this information more from a private label perspective and a category management perspective as well, just for them to understand, hey, what's what's going on? So yeah, those relationships are in place. But right now we primarily work with brands at the end of the day. And Honestly, what it is is so in our experience, what we've started to see is if there is ever a question of why a certain product is doing X, Y, or Z, like, hey, sales went up or sales went down, why we've been noticing this or this, why, or why is this happening about a product? Those are the questions that we're kind of able to answer. But what we also really care about is it's one thing to have the answer, it's a complete other thing to do something with the answer, right? Like, that's that's truly what ends up mattering at the end of the day. So 
a lot of our views in the platform, as well as what we're able to do from Imagine Services perspective, gets to answering these questions and also presenting them in highly digestible ways. So I'll just give an example from one thing that, that we were looking at the other day. So we have one larger kind of corporation that, that we work with that owns a, a ton of different brands uh, under the covers. But one of the things that was happening is there, if you looked at a lot of their sort of lower star rating reviews, what ended up happening is the, the product is one where it looks very big on the Amazon page, but when it gets shipped, it can like fit in the palm of your hand. So yeah, somebody gets that kind of small Amazon box, they open it and there's something even smaller and instantly they're like, why did I pay $40 for this thing? So that is just a mismatch of expectations that's causing the star rating to go down semi unnecessarily. And so that is something that we're, again, that's a workflow that we've seen that we're able to have a dashboard that's able to kind of like play this out and help them find that information or have our managed services team come in on top and be like, hey, we have experience with, with PDPs and stuff. Here's some things that you can do. You can go a language route, which is small bottle packs, a big punch kind of thing. Show Amazon images that just give it in proportion, but make clear that, hey, this is a 30-day supply. It's guaranteed to be a 30-day supply and that kind of stuff. So it, it's on that end. We've done things from a marketing claims or kind of like brand relaunch perspective to help really give people some insights in terms of like what do people really care about or what topics of conversation are super important in this market, all the way through to helping prioritize what products should be reformulated when you're kind of looking at it, as well as how product reformulations have been doing. This was really big, kind of the post-COVID timeframe with supply chain issues. Everybody had to kind of reformulate things and nobody knew what the impacts were. So giving some measures on that all the way through, hey, like what should our, our innovation roadmap also look like. I think there's there's also another point that one of our customers was was talking to me about a few weeks ago that I don't think I, I fully appreciated, which is um, there was this classic case of some very high up executive at her company saw uh, a few negative reviews about I think it was it was packaging or something like that, and then instantly like sent it to the brand team and there was this whole like okay everybody stop panic mode do we have to fix this and one of the points that she brought up is. Hey, what we were able to do in, in five minutes is log into Yogi and see, yes, the percentage of package complaints within our product has gone up from 2% to 3%, for example, but the market average is 7%. So yes, is that 1% increase bad? Is it something that we shouldn't aim for? Yes. But is this the kind of thing that we have to stop everything and completely reprioritize? No, because now we have not only quantitative context on it, but also an understanding of the market as a whole. You kind of mentioned category management and private label up top over there. And um, I was thinking through competitively, at least with a category management lens, it's got to be pretty powerful in terms of getting and receiving this AI-generated insights. The example you just gave of the panic, 2%, 3% formula versus a 7% formula Pretty good one too. And yeah, I'm thinking about it right now and I'm just knee-jerk reaction, right? Yeah, of course you should be able to log on to Yogi and get that answer in like a couple of seconds. And um, to be honest with you, prior to this conversation, I never really paid attention much to the power of AI-based reviews analysis, which I think that's pretty cool actually. And the amount of stuff you can get from there on the competitive side must be significant. But And that is my question to you, right? You guys have been collecting reviews data for quite a while and you get it off multiple platforms. If the data set is scaled and you have comprehensive data sets, the insights 
from a competitive review standpoint has to be pretty solid. Take us through the reality. Are you able to provide competitive insights and what kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I think um, competitive insights are probably some of the most value that we provide at the end of the day. Because Peter brought up the point before that, hey, whatever's publicly available is data that we're able to ingest. The nice thing is, is whatever we can pull for your brand, we're going to pull for your competitor brands as well. And we're going to do the same level of analysis that we can do for your brands on competitor brands as well. And so what is, that is going to do, if we go back to the dog food example that I was talking about before, right? One attribute would be pet reaction, skin and coat health. Another one, pet reaction, digestion. Another one would be uh, smell for the actual pet owner, for example, and things like that. What you're really going to see is on that attribute by attribute level, how do I compare? And it's not just how do I compare to, um, it could be how do I compare across any level of granularity? So how does this specific 20-pound dry dog food skew compared to that specific 20-pound dry dog food skew? How does this overall product compare to that product? How does this product compare to the rest of my brand or the entire dry dog food market as a whole? And so it's when you can really slice and dice that nuance that you get this really, really rich information. And the reason that it's super important is really across two avenues. First one is just pure context at the end of the day, right? I can't tell you the amount of people that we've run into where it's like, hey, across our entire org, which spans 30 categories and 60 brands, we have this thing that says you have to maintain a 4.2 star rating. And it's like, okay, great. But here are seven categories where the market average is a 4.5. So yeah, 4.2 internally, everyone's going to think it's fine. But you're some of the worst performing products in the overall market if this is your um, baseline. So that context on just understanding where is the market actually and where do I rank according to it ends up becoming like massively important downstream, not only for the prioritization example I was saying before, but also for you just to understand, hey, we used to think we were the best in this. Maybe we're actually second place, but we're really doing amazing in that, for example. Um, yeah. So three weeks ago, I was out at the Amazon Accelerate conference in Seattle. This is a big sellers conference. And I was speaking with a very successful seller there. And I was asking what she uses the platform for and where she spends her time. She said, I was surprised. I end up spending an inordinate amount of my time just reading my competitors' reviews because I'm trying to glean from it where their products are failing so that I can improve my products where they are failing to get my score higher than theirs. All I care, to your point, is it's not about the 4.2. It's about her comparable product has to have a higher score than her competitor's product. And she uses ratings and reviews. So I think knowing that she doesn't have to sit there and read them all every single day, that there's a platform she can turn to that'll turnkey give her what she's looking to understand is going to make her very happy. So I'm going to make sure that she knows all about Yogi. That said, let's look as we close out our conversation day, let's look towards the future. I want to know what you're thinking about next. I have to imagine one of the things is how do you take this tool that you've used on textual language and set it against other types of user-generated content feedback data sets like video and other things? So I want to know where are you looking to evolve your platform and what should brands be looking to get from Yogi as they start engaging and looking at where you're taking this business? 
Yeah, it's a great question. For us, we think of evolution in terms of two dimensions at, at the end of the day. The first one is how can we ingest more data, which means we can answer more questions for our customers. Um, and so, yeah, there's other UGC that we're playing around with that we're, we're starting to ingest. And we're also starting to look at potentially other pieces as well, right? Things like images, potentially, to, to help breakdowns like that, or potentially search data as well, because those, those queries, you can get a lot of, of, of information from it. I think the way that we operate, again, this is maybe Startup 101, we think that our competitive advantage when we look at other companies is just speed at the end of the day. So our favorite thing to do is just hear from current customers. Hey, what if you did this? Could you experiment with that? Oh, hey, we have this data source. What happens if we run it through Yogi? And we're always like, yes, let's do it. Let's see this. Let's work together on that. And so that's kind of the, the first dimension for us. The second one is making it faster and faster to answer your questions within Yogi. And so we have some really cool features. This is where we've now taken the next step from an AI perspective, starting to kind of use generative AI models and stuff like that to really get to the point where it's like, oh, hey, my sentiment around texture and format is below the market average. Hey, Yogi, why is that happening? You click one button and Yogi's going to come in and tell you, oh, hey, the reason that this is happening is because actually the size of your, and this is a real insight, the size of your kibble is four times bigger than the market average. And so pets are going to it, sniffing it and turning away. And um, like, they're not interested in it. So it's something where it's like, as a human, we, we have no appreciation of that whatsoever. But those are the kinds of like why answers that we're able to get to and that we're enabling with essentially just one click in, inside of the platform. So that, that's what we're really excited about at the end of the day is answering more questions and making it faster and faster for people to get to the answers that they want from this. What a fascinating topic. And when we started up top and then Peter and I discussed what we're going to do this today, we were expecting a lot of ahas and a lot of insights, especially given Peter's expertise here. And that's certainly what we got. So let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content on the URL cpgas.com by going to a web browser. And if you think your company has some thought leadership to contribute to this growing community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgas.com and maybe you can join us on this podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgas.com in the navigation bar up top. And thank you to the nearly 26,000 plus followers we have on LinkedIn. We know this podcast wouldn't exist without you. We know that's a big number. And sincerely from the bottom of our hearts, Peter and I say thank you. Gautam, thank you for making time. Thank you for taking on this fascinating topic, which is the intersection of artificial intelligence. And of course, reviews, which actually I would say is a much more mature topic. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, of course. No, thanks for having me on board. And, and yeah, always happy to talk about this conversation. So. Anyone can feel free to reach out. My emails just go them at meetyogi.com, M-E-E-T-Y-Y-O-G-I.com. And yeah, we live and breathe reviews. So I love this, this conversation. <laughs> and of course, his email, his LinkedIn profile, the company's LinkedIn profile, the company's website are all going to be just as a reminder on the digital liner notes of this podcast for any of you to access easily. Peter, it's that time, but this is a special topic for you. So I can't wait to hear your recap. Well, I'm going to start by just saying this was a five-star conversation today, Sheree. And of course, I don't say that cavalierly. See how I worked that back in? That was pretty nice. You know, at the beginning, before we recorded this episode, I was uh, talking to Gotham about 
a story, an article that I'd read a couple of years ago, and I think he was familiar with it. And I think, Sri, we may have recounted this story way back in episode two or three. And it was about these two professors, one at MIT and one at Northwestern, who theorized that almost everything you could get from a highly expensive focus group with a very limited number of people, you could probably get just by reading reviews of the products on Amazon. And they set about proving that, looked at six categories, and they were able to surmise that about 97% of what you get from a focus group you can get from ratings and reviews. The challenge is, as we've been talking about today, is the scalability of doing that. You found that out yourself when you were at Revlon. The thought of trying to make sense of all that and make, you knew there was a lot of rich insights, but getting to them was the challenge. Well, what I heard today very clearly is that Yogi's built a platform that allows you in very real time to identify what are the issues that are positive, what are the issues that are negative with your product and with your competitor's product, benchmark them against one another and be able to determine whether, yeah, it's negative, but is it is it so debilitating that you have to drop everything and fix your product. And you may not. It may be something that's negative, but your competitors aren't any better or maybe worse. And you can focus your attention on where you can get the best bang for your buck. It's certainly what Yogi offers is a platform that will allow you to scale the ability to identify innovation and product improvement opportunities and to think about how you can change your your verbiage. Like if you sit there and you launch, let's say a great example that I will always use is if you find out that you launch a brand that has three different flavors and you focus in your visual imagery on the core flavor, but it turns out that most people really like one of the secondary flavors, understanding that through ratings and reviews can allow you to do something just as simple as change the visual imagery of what you're focusing on. So what Yogi allows brands to do is really get to the heart of what is going to make the biggest difference that'll drive consumer conversion. That is the most important thing. They offer it at scale. You can use their tools and do it yourself. You can use their managed service to help walk you through the process. They built it out and their goal, as our, our dear guest said, is to process more and more data faster and faster so that we can answer your questions as quickly as you can come up with them. That's what I heard today, Shree. This was a phenomenal episode. I would highly recommend people reach out and learn more about what's going on with Yogi because user-generated content is invaluable in terms of improving your brand, finding opportunities for innovation, and the ability to synthesize all of this valuable, valuable feedback that's just sitting out there waiting for you to access it and make sense of it. They built a really powerful tool. I'm impressed, Shri. I'm really impressed. Thank you for what I would call is an awesome summary. I knew this is the way this topic would go. I mean, intersection of AI and reviews on the CPG guys, what else would one expect? Thank you to both of you for joining me today. That's a wrap of this episode. See you soon in another episode of the CPG guys. Thank you. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC 
or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.